1: Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Pada Rooney and this week I went over to Kathy Davies house and she lives in Kildare with her partner Neil Hannan and we talked about her charity My Lovely Horse which is a charity that involves rescuing horses that have been abandoned particularly in urban areas and uh, her partner wrote the song My Lovely Horse of Father Ted with Graham Lennon, so hence the name for her charity. So we talk about that charity and we talk about her music career as well. Cathy Davy is an excellent songwriter, three albums to her credit Something Ilk, Tales of Silver Sleeve, and The Nameless. And probably you would probably know songs like Reuben and Little Red. So, during the week I was out at a gig and um, I went to the bathroom. And do you know what just really annoys me? When you go to the toilet at some venue, why is there a man in the toilet turning on the tap and giving you paper towels to dry your hands with? Two things that I am perfectly capable of doing and indeed would much prefer to do myself because it's such an easy task. It's frankly embarrassing that someone else is doing it. Just doing it for you. I said "Mm, I can wash my hands. Thank you for. And then why? Why is he black? I don't know why there is a black man in the toilet helping you to do things that you are perfectly well able to do on your own. Is this some kind of conspiracy to make perfectly liberal, well balanced, non? non-prejudiced people like me to become racist. I mean, why? What does a black man think he's doing? What what is he what is he thinking? I know I will I'll I'll come to Ireland and I'll further the cause of uh, racial equality by uh, squirting soap into the hands of mostly white Irish people. It's not even it's it's not even an actual job. It it's an invented unnecessary job. It's like someone coming up to you in a restaurant and spoon-feeding you your food and then expecting to be tipped. I hate all that shit. I hate all that shit. Anything to do with people doing things that are unnecessary. I hate when you drive up to a a posh hotel and somebody opens the door for you or takes your luggage and and opens... You know, fucking hell. You know what I mean? Have I lost the use of my arms? when you become uh, wealthy do you just not be able to open doors anymore fuck anyway i'm i'm a little bit anxious at the minute because i have uh, i have to go to the doctor in 2 hours i have a bump a bump on my body under my rib cage and above my tummy and it's sore and I'm, i've had to, actually the bump isn't new the bump's been there since I'm far back and i can remember and it started to get sore few days ago and uh i'm going for uh, i'm yeah so i'm anxious i'm bloody anxious it's actually quite sore quite sore and it's getting bigger oh jesus christ that could be serious i know i know anyway what the feck i have to do it i'm going okay anyway uh have a listen to this interview with kathy Davy. Feed the chickens, is it?
2: Feeding the chickens. <laughs> With
3: the eggs. I'll give
1: them something. girls. Oh, mm, they're lovely.
3: Corwin is missing her um, arse feathers.
1: Yeah, does, is that from... Uh, I think
3: it's from lice or fleas or something. Oh. So I've had to... Learn how to learn. I've been learning about parasites of the chicken mm. fowl
1: it's funny how uh, I have a cat that gets a uh, rash on its tummy at the same time every year and uh, it must be an allergy from a plant that, that it, it's got it now I've got to bring it to the vet like in August every year at the end of August and early September Funny. It
2: comes out in August and September.
1: Um, yeah, or something that starts it? flowering. Like, there's a big garden. There's an, an acre of garden. That it's it a ragwort there. So, that's very yeah.
2: irritable. That
1: might be. Could be ragwort too. Yeah. Yeah.
3: We'll walk in the grass down here, will we? Do yes, indeed.
1: Friends. So, this is... Uh, well, can you tell me about the, char- the charity, my lovely horse, just from the top, Cathy?
3: Yeah, it's... Um, we're about four years old now. Mm. And we have... Um, 27 equines here where I live, and yeah. another about 40 odd and um, the farm up the road, mm. and um, we've just taken on a trainer, and we're we're growing basically. So we have lots of volunteers who are all really good at certain fields of their own, um, mm. and we're a nice gang, and we kind of believe in keeping everything fun and together and community. Mm-hmm. Oriented, you yeah. know, so yeah. you saw that at the electric picnic. It's all kind of you have to be able to have a nice time doing it because it's such heavy going on the heart, yeah. You know. So, uh, we're a nice bunch, yeah. and um, we're Dublin and Kildare based, yeah. Um, and we take in ponies like these, see these four here, right? It's two, two uh, Shetland mums, yeah, and they're foals, um, and so. We started working with the pound, um, which we we're really delighted about. So they were able to sign these four over to us. Um, and they okay came in. Time. They yes, came in last night. Last night, yeah. Mm.
1: Okay. And so, so where would they have come from? The, where would they have picked them up?
3: Um, inner city, Dublin. Really? That's, yeah, that's where most of the animals that we have come from there. Um, so there's a um, there is a big problem with a lot of breeding. They're just able to keep breeding. They breed them when the animals are really too young to be bred from, and then they're bred with. Some are bred with deformities, so they're not performing very well, and they're very disposable because yeah. they get to just leave them out on the street for someone else to pick up. And it's just a very easily accessible hobby for someone. Um, when I think maybe quad bikes or motor bikes or something would be more suitable, yeah, because they're they're forgetting that they're sentient beings and they're traumatized and everything so there are some great homes in in dublin like that's not the the problem isn't that they're in dublin it's just that they're so easily hidden and they're so easily um gotten rid of there's no there's no um consequences for for mistreating an animal there because you can do it hidden behind you know in the back garden there's
1: loads of them is that where they're keeping horses? Back gardens yeah. and
3: wasteland. Yeah. yeah, wasteland is a big thing. Yeah, so we sometimes in the winters we do um, hay drives um, mm. and provide hay and help and wormers for the the kids who would have horses and don't mm. know how to look after them. And um, mm. like we're not really about taking animals away from people who are looking after them, but we do want to help educate them mm. so the animals just have a better quality of life.
1: Yeah, because uh, in one sense you think it's great for young kids to have an animal or to yeah. work with an animal.
3: Yeah, it's it, yeah. there's nothing bad about having an animal as long as you are sort of held accountable for its well-being. And the trouble is is that with kids who who are out in the streets all day and night and whose parents aren't maybe keeping an eye on what they're doing with that time,
2: mm.
3: um are they aren't sort of made be responsible for sentient beings life that's, yeah that's yeah. the issue so we're mm. trying to get in and help them learn learn about worming because the animals that we take in that ultimately don't survive that die in our care it's because of worms it's such a simple thing you know you wouldn't think it yeah mm. but they all yeah they all suffer badly from real simple things so
1: hmm and so how, how long have you been have you been running the charity? Is this something that you started yourself, is it? Um,
3: it was myself and three other girls and mm. we were all dog uh, dog rescuers. Um, so yeah, about four years ago. Mm. 2011 I think it was. 2010, 11. So um, yeah, we we started ages and ages ago and we've had a lot to learn <laughs> about it. Um, it's really complicated.
1: But how did you start? What was the first thing you did?
3: Um, we were good friends with a park ranger in Dublin, yeah. where we used to walk our dogs, and he used to look after us, letting us, um, letting us take in rescue dogs there and walk them off lead, and you know because it it is hard to walk dogs off lead in Dublin and and not get into trouble. Mm. So he was very protective of us because he's a big animal lover. And there was a problem, he had a patch of wasteland and there was a problem with horses being dumped there, trotters who weren't wanted anymore, Um, shetlands who'd been ridden and weren't wanted anymore. So um, in some cases the only course of action was to call the county council um and the horses would end up in the council facil- facilities, which would be the pound mm. and um and there isn't r- really um much chance of rehoming there there is now there are good schemes, but back then it was kind of hard, and um, there was just so many horses coming in that there was nothing anyone could do with that number mm. um, so he asked us, would we do it, do something so we found a foster home for two ponies there that weren't wanted. And um and we just went on from there. Mm. Like hundred and sixty horses later. Jesus. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: and yeah. the name obviously comes from so sorry, your partner's Neil, and he wrote the song My Lovely Horse. And that is, Him and Graham
3: wrote that song and just oh. one of the volunteers said it as a joke. We were thinking mm. of a name to call ourselves and we had like ten ponies or something. Mm. And Carly said my lovely horse is a joke and we were <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking at her dead-eyed going the brain's working yeah so shit, fuck it it's it's like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what the name is but actually from the name has come loads of ideas for like we we're telling you earlier on about the father ted quiz mm. and the song for europe and um it's just a more fun thing, isn't it, than Irish equine problem crisis <laughs> yeah, yeah, charity? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: so we just do want it to be a bit more fun and upbeat.
1: No, it's a great name, and it's a it's a name that uh, I'm sure Ardlehan has probably <laughs> has had it shouted at him. A yeah i say times. so yeah
3: <laughs> I know because even
1: I have and I had nothing to do with that song at <laughs> yeah. all but just the fact that I was in Father Ted <laughs> it's such a famous
3: song like people call like, yeah. at, at, at Neil's gigs for that song like in France and stuff I don't yeah. know how <laughs> but um, yeah it seems to have st- struck a chord um, yeah I hope I hope they re-release it <laughs> we can ride in, on its coattails <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The dance version or something <laughs> yeah. yeah do you want to yeah. the donkeys
1: yep He's having a wee there. I
3: think a lot of the stuff about the horses might be a bit boring, but I mean, sure, you can edit what you want. No!
2: Because it's just...
3: Yeah. Animal welfare is never interesting to, to listen to. Because when it's all you're thinking about, it's all you kind of talk about at the end of the day. Yeah. But, uh, these two donkeys came from Baye Fermit, mm-hmm. um, and they were both uh, just really, really sick when they came in, and they're best friends now, so donkeys kind of mate up for life even though they're two boys Do they'll they? be pals for life and they get this horrible sickness when they're separated from their pal yeah, um, and they can die from it they really? just get pretty much heartbroken and too stressed and they can't deal with the stress and, and um, it's very dangerous so that's amazing um, so they're both seven years old so they'll be staying here for life because yeah. I just think they're so nice. They roar at you when you come out in the morning, and they roar at people when they come up the driveway. And they're better than a doorbell. Um, yeah, yeah. Eating all the weeds and happy out. So
1: yeah, uh, like donkeys aren't. Yeah, I suppose donkeys were used on the farm years ago. Obviously, a long time ago. They were. They were the beast of burden. They mm. called them. Yeah. Um, so they're not um, used for anything now. Are they? They're they're pets basically.
3: Yeah, their pets now. Well, you know, mm. the donkey sanctuary are inundated. They have a waiting list of like two hundred donkeys, waiting to be rescued, to be taken in. Mm. But they only came to Ireland a few hundred years ago, so they haven't evolved with this wet weather. They've come from um, Asia and Iran and India, I think. All oh, right. So yeah. um, or Africa, but um, they come from hot countries with dry land, so they're not and they're not waterproof. So you see oh, that really? typical Irish picture of the donkey standing out in the rain, looking adorable. And it's actually the more you learn about them, the sadder it is to realise that they were kept in really wet conditions. Which, underneath their lovely fluffy coats, that have a thing called rain scald, which is real scabby and sore. Mm. They'd have foot rot from the wet ground, and they're just not made for Ireland. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's why there's the donkey sanctuaries are so full of work. Um, but we work with them. They're they're brilliant. They always come up and see when we take in a donkey. They come up and they help us advise, and they take the ones who maybe aren't suited to our rehoming scheme because they'd match them up with someone suitable in their place and then rehome them mm. so if we, we have one fella out there, John, who's in his 20s so he has to go down there and go in with their old herd so we're just holding him until he's done quarantine
1: mm. and uh, do they breed a lot as well, donkeys?
3: They do, well mm. like that one's a stallion there, he just mm. has never gotten it on with a lady so he doesn't know what he's got but if he did, he 'd be breaking out left right and center there they're yeah big breeders, and a lot of again, a lot of people are breeding them and bringing them into Dublin as pets because people think they 're funny and they think mm. it's great to jump up on a donkey, um, but they 're not made for mm. they shouldn 't be in city, they certainly shouldn 't
1: be. Mm. Right. And are the many of uh, what you call it a, a ginnet, I think is crossed between a horse and a donkey.
3: Yeah, there's jinnets and mules. Yeah, yeah, we've had we've had everything. <laughs> yeah. We've had two mules here since I moved in here last October, and um, they're really smart. They're smarter than ponies and horses. Mules are some yeah. some of that whatever kind of alchemy went on when they were breeding. It makes their brain just a bit more, um, a bit more um, thoughtful. They just yeah. think a lot more about things, they make their mind out, up about you, and that's why they seem as stubborn, because they're like, I'm not fucking going over that
1: cliff,
3: <laughs> you moron. I'm not going over that jump. Are you mad? <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're smart cookies.
1: Did you grow up with animals? Did you grow up in a farm or Not anything? in a farm, no? no. I grew up
3: in the um, in the country with animals. When mm. we moved to England, we were on a dairy farm. Um, I mean, my sister always had um, riding lessons, and we got a pony when we were in England, so... Um, mm. And lots of dogs are coming in and out. My parents are both mad into dogs, and mm. um, so we pick up all the strays. So yeah, it's it's definitely part of part of um, who the whole family is all the time. My family are mad into animals. Oh right, yeah, yeah. they're really they love coming here.
1: Uh, but not on a farm. You weren't on a, a farm. You were like, no, the, we the, weren't yeah,
3: farmers. Yeah. Mm. Um, no, and even like on the dairy farm, I didn't know what it was all about. <laughs> I just thought there was a Jersey farm. So they were really beautiful cows. You know, the brown ones yeah. with the black Egyptian eyes. and Yeah. All, uh, and and the English and Irish dairy farms are really nice. They're yeah. all free pasture and everything.
1: Yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Friesian cows. So. Oh, OK. Yeah, in Mead and in Kildare, actually. So you're a farmer? Uh, well, not now, but I grew up on a farm.
3: And did, would your parents have wanted you to carry it on? My
1: father would have, yeah. And uh, it's just I knew I wasn't cut out for it because it's kind of, it's really, it's hard just work. hard work. Serious hard work. But yeah. Not very much income. Yeah. yeah. And, and you've got to kind of do things that uh, would go against the grain. You, you say, like, it's um, living in the countryside is lovely and everything. Um, but then a lot of the modern farms, they cut down the hedgerows and the ditches to make more land, basically, because they see there's there's a bit of land we could use. So it kind of... Working on a farm, or owning a farm, it might kind of go against your...
2: The
3: more commercial ones go against nature, I think. Yeah. And I think the nice old-fashioned ones are so good for nature, but as long as the animals are free-range and everything. But but um, I think, yeah, that's why it's so terrifying, the idea of America just being, you know, having their millions of animals... Um, I would definitely be vegan if i lived over there because I don't want to be part of what they do. Oh, yeah, because uh, a lot of those
1: cows for beef, they'd never, they're never in a field. Out,
3: yeah, and the, and the dairy cows would never be out either. Oh, really? Yeah, they'd never be out, and they're strapped up all the time. Um, it's just very, very different, and I don't know how it's allowed. Um, they're just alone to themselves. I know they are trying to get better, and there's some great organisations, but we're lucky in Ireland, and we're lucky we have hedgerows protected and everything, but... Mm. Yeah, I hope it doesn't go the same way.
1: No, I don't think it will.
3: Yeah. more You see more and more kind of soy because milk and other products in the shops, don't you? So Yeah,
1: I think it's, it's gone so as dependent. far as it'll go now. Yeah. Do you think? I hope so. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, but I know that it's really hard for farmers with the milk prices being driven down by outside, um, you know, more commercial places.
2: That
1: because the supermarkets aren't. Yeah, they want cheaper. Medicine. They
3: want cheaper stuff, and then so my only problem with that would be the welfare of the animals go down because they're trying to get more mm-hmm. product from them. So um, that's where it's shite. But there are people getting really into into more organic ideals because mm. actually, because there's there might be good money in it, isn't there? If it, if it's done properly, yeah, and if more people
1: are consuming it, yeah, mm, surely. So.
3: Hopefully, yeah. And you
1: you will know the difference. I mean, i had chickens for a while. I don't have them now, but the eggs from your own chickens that are allowed to kind of wander around, it's just delicious. Yeah. yeah. They're magic, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Happy, happy animals are great to be around. Mm. And you can tell <laughs> you can tell the uh, the mood of the place is kind of depressing. My friend was telling me that she went to this farm, this goat goat farm, and it was like a petting place. You could go in... And she went into this huge barn and there was babies and mums and lots of clean straw and things bouncing around. And she went in and they all looked happy and it was sold to her like a happy place. And she came out bawling and she didn't know why. Mm
0: -hmm. And she
3: was just like, I should have been really happy. I was petting them and they were sweet and everything. And I didn't know why I was crying. And then someone told me afterwards that none of the animals ever get outside and the babies are separated from their mums obviously within a few days because it's a dairy thing so they Mm. have to keep them lactating but um but she said it was just the it looked the picture but the mood didn't marry and Mm. her kind of psyche felt it (laughs) Mm. (laughs) or whatever but i mean we are kind of made to feel things from other animals um which is why it's it's always so interesting to work with animals Mm. um I think that's why there are loads of farmers. There's something in working with animals mm. in the land.
1: And even having a pet, I mean, the dog can just make you feel better. There's a, I've read somewhere that uh, men who have heart attack, when they come back out of hospital, um, uh, the men who have a dog have much better uh, chances of surviving the heart attack. What's that
3: drug that it releases? Mm. Um oxy something and um, the the same drug that's released when you have a child um and when you're when you have a natural birth and when you breastfeed that drug is heightened mm. and it's the same one that's released when a dad first sees sees his kid and it's that drug that's released then when you're um petting and playing with the dog that you love oh, right, and yeah. in them it's released as well so oh, it's the love drug basically yeah, yeah. and it's um and it's Dopamine as well. Yeah, that's released. So, um, so there's all this chemical stuff hmm. happening. Um, Did, and it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Did you grow up in a, in an artistic kind of environment as well? Is um, one of your parents a sculptor?
3: Yeah, my mum is a sculptor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, My dad's a
1: musician, yeah. Artie farty. Can you
3: tell from how I'm talking?
1: (laughs) No, uh, I just looked on Wikipedia. (laughs) I should have said yes, but anyway. (laughs) That's
3: fine. (laughs) Sorry, I don't sound like. (laughs) I'm sure I do. But uh, But yeah, yeah, artie parents. Never pushed into working in a bank, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: But uh, yeah, they'd they'd be mad into into the science of love uh, mm. as opposed to the um, the more spiritual version so um, that's what I'm into Sorry, know. what
1: do you mean the science of love? The, yeah. Like
3: as in you're designed and you're hardwired to feel that a connection with something is spiritual whereas I'd believe that it's the hardwiring of um, of genetics and and the need to reproduce that's making you feel that you need someone, so that's all, all of those drugs that are released and make you feel really good when you're close to a human being or close to an animal mm. and we we sort of have a blanket phrase of love for mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but I just think there's um it's nature at its like cleverest, making us think that we'll will die if we are separated because I guess chances of survival is much stronger if you're with a good partner and with animals that are aiding you and if you're with Mm. a big herd of um, survivors Mm. so
1: there's a very strong uh, urge to have children I think in everyone isn't it you get kind of broody comes and goes
3: yeah Mm. Yeah, it comes and goes for me I don't have Mm. kids I get Mm. really broody and then I'm like we take in this sick animal or we have a baby <laughs>
2: so,
3: sick animal get this animal. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. so we have now uh 35 animals here yeah so, and i'm 37 so yeah. Yeah, chances are going down but it is i know it's just i know it's just nature tugging at me i mm. know it's not really me that wants to be tied down um although kids are great i i think um
1: Kids are great. At least they, they grow up and go to college. None of these animals will. These. <laughs>
3: yeah. And maybe support you when you're in nappies. Yeah. These only last for, you know, a number of years. But that's true. So mm. it, it balances out, hopefully. Mm. Yeah, they're not going to look after me when I'm old, though. But hopefully I'll <laughs> die well, they'll, falling they'll out of a tree. they will
1: it. make you live longer, though, probably.
3: They probably will. Mm. And I'll probably die in a field really happy, like falling mm. out of a tree or something. Do you know? <laughs> Or getting trampled by someone who's coming at me for, for food, and that's the way you'd want to go, isn't it? Not knowing. So, do you want to come see the others? Yep,
1: yeah, sure. So, there's a little foal here, right?
3: Yeah. So she's an interesting one. We have loads and loads of little brown foals. So basically, there's a bit of um, a trend with people who trot horses on the road, you will have seen them, the Sulkies. There's always good oh, debates yeah. whether it's a good or bad thing. Yeah. Um, the bad side of it is it's really desirable for them to have uh, the red and white, which is this colour. See, her, skew red yeah. and white girls. They want red and white trotters. They're more valuable. Nice. Um, so when a foal is born, if it's not that colour, they'll just chuck them out and start yeah. again. God. So she was three months old, running down um in a, city, a certain road in Dublin really? um, after being chucked right. out, and she should have been with her mum for another she three months oh. at least
1: so she wasn't even yeah she, she was weed yeah. yeah so
3: um so we have loads of these, so she's the latest one to come in we have loads of them and the good thing is they grow they're really well bred it's just they come out the wrong color mm. so they're very desirable with people who mm. are looking for oh, she's really affectionate as well mm, she's, she's a really good
1: nature. Girl.
3: My boob though, but um, yeah, they're so they're they're really rehomable. Mm. And this girl here, we were talking about ragwort earlier yeah. on. So see the way her ears are pink there and yeah. her face, and when she turns here, her eyes, all um, well, the skin is pink and gone. Just so over she, her eyes. When she was a foe her mum was starved and she ate ragwort because there was nothing else to eat. It's mm. very bitter, so they don't want it. So she as a foal drank her mum's milk and she got the ragwort through it and it makes them photosensitive so because she's white all the skin under the white hair is pink and very very sensitive Ah. it all fell off her as a foal and on her ears and her eyes and her face and behind her ears on her neck she Mm. can't go out during the daytime. she can only go out at night time because she can't ever look at the sun, because she burns instantly.
1: Uh, that's a lifelong...
3: Lifelong, yeah. Really? Lifelong. And because it was so sore, it's very... She doesn't want her ears touched. She's getting really good. She's getting better. Mm. Like, um, in a few more months, maybe we'll be able to put sun cream on. Mm. But just the fear of her going out, getting sun cream, it raining, and her burning to crisp again. Mm. Um, Jeez, so, that's
2: terrible.
3: Yeah, so... wow. Well, anyway, she luckily, she really likes her stable. She's... Getting really fat. She loves sleeping and eating. It's yeah. her favourite. And then when she goes out, she bucks and farts. So she's having a good life. It's just different and from the others. It would be
1: better in the winter for her. She go out yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. all past. Yeah.
3: So this girl, this girl came from Ballyfermish. Mm. And the pound were trying to catch her for two years. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the owner um, wasn't a really nice guy. And mm. the foal. Uh, was didn't survive. Um, she had a fall out, out in in the estate. Yeah. From and um, it lasted two days. And a local guy, because the community out there is really really caring about the animals. Mm. Um. And we get a lot of distress calls from from people there. But um, one of the guys bought her from the owner. He wouldn't he wouldn't sign her over to us. He wouldn't sell her to us. He'd rather that she die and the foal die than they, then she go to do-gooders. But he sold her to this other local guy for 70 quid, and he brought her up to us. Mm. And she can't really be touched. She's terrified. She's been um, so badly treated. She's always got the whites of the eyes. But she'll come in for two weeks and go out for two weeks, and she's getting a bit better. Mm. And um, and eventually we'll get there where she'll she'll actually enjoy being approached. So mm. at the moment she wants to go away <laughs>
2: a little bit wary <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. but
3: um, she's doing good though she'll she'll be okay mm. but uh, so she's the lovely colour so they they kept her around because oh, she kept breeding yeah. why
1: is that? is that that's a weird thing that they need she to have fine. that colour um, I
3: think hmm. there's something to do with them being something to do with them being pure breads and quarter breads and three quarterbreds. breads you know you need to be trotter to know mm. yourself, we're only on this end, which is just Yeah. all horses are great. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we we'll like we like to feed them. That's it.
1: Okay. And has this this has taken over completely your life now? This like, because obviously you're known as a musician. Yeah, and
3: it's um it has taken over. Um, I mean, I have supposed to be, I have supposed to released an album. Uh, like many times over the last couple of years yeah but um you know you weigh it up at the end of the day and it used to be that I couldn't sleep at night thinking about everything going on with the animals yeah and I couldn't do enough because you'd be on tour or when you're making music you have to be obsessed and nothing else can fit in and eventually it started feeling really selfish it's I started feeling like a real greedy thing to do with time, so... Um, to do the music? Well, to be that, that, that obsessed with something so that nothing else gets in. Oh. But then I just felt... I felt, oh, I guess, really guilty about not doing anything for for uh, a part of... Um, I guess part of our natural world. Mm-hmm. You know, not to be hippie about it, but just... There's a lot of shit going on and I felt it wasn't part of the solution. So, um, yeah. once I started doing something, I started sleeping a bit better at night. Yeah. Because um, it feels good to do things. Yeah. Like it, yeah. You get rewarded big time, you know, by yourself for doing good things. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, that's why it takes over and that's why I don't mind it taking over. But I do have an album sitting and my manager said, we're going to put it out in next spring, if it kills us. I said, fine, (laughs) we
1: will. Oh, and you have it. Yeah, I have
3: have it made. Yeah, I have it made. It's just, putting it out will mean, I guess, a year of promotion and and a year of going away, and I'm just getting things sorted here. And so, yeah.
1: Is is music something that you kind of accidentally ended up doing? Or you might, you know, because I've kind of read that you kind of, it was something you just wanted to do because you liked
3: yeah, like everything that I do is it only gets done be, if it feels nice. Yeah. If it feels nice to do, you're probably the same. If it's like enjoyable, yeah. you can do loads and loads of it. The hard work is the the other stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, I only started doing it because I was uh, uh, I didn't really enjoy crowds or groups of people or that stuff that that you. Think everyone enjoys that when you're a kid and you think there's something wrong with you if you don't really Oh yeah, do it.
1: like you mean like going out to pubs or clubs yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: So, um, mm. yeah, so I started um, doing that, turning poems into songs mm. um, and then I went uh, I was going to go to art college and I went to a, um, an art course for a year I think before art college and I just had a four track and then that was that, I just mm. did loads of songs um, so yeah, I did fall into it. But uh, I guess from afar it seemed inevitable with such hippie parents, you know. <laughs> so it's um, no alternative, really.
0: Mm.
3: Couldn't do anything else. I wasn't academic, only for English and art, the two uh, things and, which uh, are interesting.
1: Do you still are you still involved? is art something you would still be
3: yeah, into? Yeah, art. I was just thinking about it today, you know. When I was doing the last album, I was doing the animation or the um, illustrations for the artwork mm. I don't know if you saw the um, the artwork for the last album yeah. the fold out poster right. um, so I did the um, just w- in conjunction with the songs I was doing illustrations to go with them like like propaganda posters to yeah. go with each song because it was about that kind of thing but um, but I was living in Kildare in a different part of Kildare and we had no TV and we had no internet so I used to sit in the one warm room and just do illustrations because there was fuck all else to do. Mm. And that's how it was growing up. We didn't have TV in the room or internet back in my day. Yeah. But, um...
1: Well, there was no internet, yeah. was there?
3: no. Well, I you're a lot like younger was, than me, so maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, there, <laughs> I think was. there was. They started. They started, but it wasn't Thank very interesting. <laughs> <age>. <laughs> well, I am, like 37, so... No, nah, it's know. a lot younger. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... <laughs> But there was, but it wasn't yeah. what it is now. So yeah, yeah. I think, in some ways, just that uh, being creative on that level is just sheer necessity of not going mad. You have to direct, mm. um, you know, energy somewhere into something. Mm. Whereas now we have internet here sometimes, and I have Netflix. So when I want to switch off the brain, I go to that automatically, and not mm. to. So I haven't done artwork for this album which feels really really weird Um, and I always thought that doing painting and drawings was because that was me but I think it was it's more I'm still me but I'm not doing any of that stuff Mm. so I obviously don't need to maybe because I'm doing the animals I have a different outlet Mm. a a different thing that makes you kind of satisfyingly tired but uh, yeah
1: and when you did the so I presume you got signed by a company for that first album I
3: yeah, company. the first yeah, I was signed to Parlophone
1: and in the UK. Was that uh, did that kind of something that you had no control over? Like, 'cause I believe you're not happy with that first album. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, you've no control over um, uh, when you're that age, and if as, if you're not total. I really admire, like, I was teaching in BIM for the last four years, and students would come in at 17 years old, and they'd be really competent on stage, really confident, really sure of what they are, and really know what group they belong to, or what part of society they belong to, you know, mm-hmm. what what trend they were part of, and um, where the music fits in, and I just, I'm like... I just don't know how they do it. I don't know how they are so themselves at such a young age. And so when I was 23, I guess, getting signed then, I hadn't a clue. I knew I liked Elliot Smith and um, Stina Nordenston and, and a few, but a very small amount of music. That you yeah.
1: mentioned her because yeah. I, th- I was listening to your second album on the way here in the car. And I, th- and I, I thought there was influence from Steena Northerson, but I also thought there was on certain songs. Oh, well, different songs from different albums of rock and roll from the 50s as well. I mean... Oh, I was listening I think, to loads
3: of... Um, yeah. uh Of... Uh, sorry, Chicken. Um, God, sorry, my name. Uh, and the Crickets. Billy... Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Holly, <laughs> Holly. sorry. I had one cassette, yeah. Yeah because I've never been that's, into CDs or anything but I'd drive a lot and I, with, and for about 10 years I had a car with just a cassette player yeah. so I had Buddy Holly and I had Burl Ives yeah. for that second and third album and that's all I'd listened to so yeah loads of that oh it's amazing because <laughs> particularly
1: yeah. Ruben, that song Ruben oh yeah riff, loads of that is, uh, it's a rock and roll type riff
3: it? it is yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and I didn't know until afterwards that I'd lifted it
1: it's not his latest flame <laughs> is it?
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's that, yeah. But it's Definitely brilliant. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: But, um, but you do that loads, like.
1: Yeah.
3: And I'll hear other musicians doing it that I'd know and say, it's, God, it's completely that song. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> they wouldn't realise that they'd done it, but it's, I guess it's turning around your head the whole time.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. You like
3: it, it's in there. You pick it out and you think it's yours.
1: So. Well, I mean, this uh, I don't know, in comedy they say there's only seven jokes, really. Oh, right. <laughs> something like that, yeah. And that all jokes come from...
3: So they're templates Seven
1: templates for jokes.
3: Wow, yeah, they see, all come comedy's that, an anomaly so. to me. I don't know how <laughs> your brains work. There must be something weird going on there. Because most comedians have to be so, like... I don't know, incredibly high IQ or something, the memory has to be really good. Do you know, and my memory's super mm-hmm. bad, so I'm always in awe of people who have... What,
1: do you, do you it mean really to, must to get to, up and do the...
3: No, not even memorising, but just because you're taking in loads of bits of social culture and everything and, you know, reconfiguring it and making something new. So you're, you must be taking in lots of stuff from the world, whereas... Um, I guess from my point of view, I'm internalising everything and just taking little bits of things and putting something else in, but I'm not um, taking in what's yeah, going on Yeah, I think there's different life.
1: kinds of comedy. I mean, I think you certainly, as when you're younger, your comedy might refer to a lot of uh, cultural things that are happening at the time. Because Mm. that's kind of what you're into in your 20s, maybe. Mm. But as you get older, you lose contact with that. And I think you might end up doing comedy just about about relationships and things that are universal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I wouldn't say you need a high IQ. Yeah,
3: but no, I just do because there's always um, an epiphany at the end, really, isn't there? It's not like a joke as a punchline. It's supposed to be a good comedian will always...
1: A twist.
3: A twist and it'll be some kind of enlightening...
1: You know, aspect to it. Possibly, yeah. I always think that it's certainly maybe half comedians are slightly autistic, so they see a different angle of
3: yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind mm. of philosopher's view on things, isn't it? They're able to turn it around and see it from a different angle, and then articulate it. Just mm. think, I, I just <laughs> think you're, you're much you're much cleverer than everyone else.
1: Nah, That's the way it I don't is. Think so. <laughs> but. Oh, no, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um.
3: There's John, and he sets off the other donkeys. Alright. And the two donkeys over there, and they'll go off. Where are they?
1: They're hiding. They'll go
3: off now. You can hear. Ah, we can't tell. So no. we have a donkey here, two donkeys yeah. in that field, the neighbors have two donkeys, and then down the road has one. All right. So John will start it, then Peanut and Wayne, <laughs> uh, then the two fellas next door, and then them. And then once these guys hear the fifth donkey going off, they'll go, oh, I didn't call to him, and they'll start again. It'll <laughs> be <a> <laughs> Some people hate the noise of the donkey's braying. I love it.
1: Yes. Great,
3: (laughs) alive, like they're letting you know they're definitely alive, (laughs)
1: yeah, yeah, and they're communicating, yeah, so they are actually communicating to each other,
3: yeah. I think they're
2: just, yeah, this is Bono
3: guy
1: here, Bono Bono. Hiya, Bono. He's when he came
3: in, he had this huge, like,
1: is this electric fence on? Yeah, is it on? Yeah, it's on, yeah.
3: He had an unforgettable fire hairdo on him when he came in, oh, did he? For a mullet, (laughs) he had a mullet, yeah, and um. And real character, and he was very, um, well, he was really angry actually. <laughs> he mm. used to rear up and grab you and try and kill you, basically. Mm. But he's a stallion, and he's calmed right down now. Mm. He's a nice guy. He wasn't very well, so he's just getting
1: better. He's a boy.
3: Still a biter.
1: Yeah. It's funny. I got a text from a, a girl I knew years ago last night. And she said, uh, "Do you know Bono? Because I hear he's got glaucoma, and I have to go in for an operation for glaucoma." Really? I was like, "How would I know Bono?" That's like, <laughs> 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 uh, funny.
3: And and that was the only person she could think of getting advice. From. Yeah, Bono. <laughs> she really that yeah. someone better. <laughs>
1: I'm going to have to take time off with of world tour for...
3: <laughs> Stop, I have to give advice.
1: i like glaucoma. we go get a cup of tea, will we? Yeah, sure. So Do you not like touring? I mean, it's... Have you toured, like, all over? Have you done in the UK a lot?
3: Yeah, I did UK more than Ireland when I first signed. Yeah. I'd go all around UK and back again and um, just over and over and over again. No, you know... I think now, now that I'm okay with myself, mm. it's fine. I think if you got problems going on in your own head, then it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're going to find issues with it. Mm. So I was ultimately um, getting a lot of panic attacks and things mm. and not really know that loads of people get them and that it's grand. And then you'd be embarrassed and you wouldn't say that you're having one. Mm. And then you'd get paranoid and people would think you're weird or rude
2: and yeah. so that just
3: spirals out of control especially when you're on a bus with someone for a month staying with them and supposed to be socialising and if you don't socialise then you're seen as a um, snob or something so just that stuff and it's normal like the thing is and I see kids it, especially because I've been teaching songwriting so many of them will, are in the middle of that and having to deal with it and they don't know that it's being a normal human being and it's grand Mm. and the worse you feel about it the worse it gets and i think actually it's good to have that stuff going on in your head because it means that you're aware that not everything is fine you know not everything in the world is fine and um and there are strange things going on and being alive is strange (laughs) and just it spirals off into I'm alive. What is it? <laughs> it's
1: funny. Yeah. I don't know what it's like now, but I started having panic attacks back in my 20s and but didn't know that anyone else ever had them. <laughs> like yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And that makes it worse.
3: That makes it worse, yeah. If
1: I just knew that so many people had them.
3: Yeah. I, yeah. Fine. I wouldn't have known the term like
1: no. that.
3: I know that I'd get it in school and what, what would happen is be trying to concentrate and your brain is trying to drift off somewhere and then you focus too much on I don't know if it's like being really really stoned and having a whitey your attention goes a bit hypersensitive mm-hmm. and you start to freak out about that and you're aware of
1: Or do you, I remember feeling detached so I'm talking to someone but I feel like they're miles away or something yeah. and I'm just floating here yeah. very yeah.
3: strange things going on with I guess your um your self-awareness and whatever um, I don't know if you ever listened to any of Alan Watts that philosopher from the 70s and he talks about the ego
2: mm-hmm.
3: and everyone imagines that the ego is intrinsic, intrinsically part of you and it's somewhere in the middle of the brain and that's your ego that's you mm-hmm. and he kind of uh, talks about well he talks about that and that's what I'd say your brain is trying to figure out when you're developing and when you're becoming aware of life and death and where you matter in the universe or how little you do um, and that'll, and I think that's going on subconsciously the whole time when you're expected to be sitting paying attention to maths class and stuff mm. but if that's still going on and you're being pulled and tugged and told that different things are important, that's not important, other stuff is then it can mess you up mm. I think the more maybe we work with that
2: <laughs>
1: Whoops, do you ever have that uh, thing? I mean, I remember very young, I, I must have been about in high infants, whatever age that is, and there's a t- teacher talking to me and this thought comes into my head, imagine if I just do something ridiculous like, I don't know, run around going, just, you know, just this idea that you're, to do something that you're, that you're not allowed to do, or it would mm. be crazy. Didn't you know what I mean?
3: That you did it or you wanted to. I
1: didn't to. do it, but just the idea that you will do something that's not expected of you.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, so when
1: you're in a position at school, because school is a new thing at that age, I guess, mm-hmm. where you have to <laughs> not just do whatever you want to do.
3: Yeah, exactly. I'd know. say it's very strange for mm. for kids, but but it also is that um, I suppose you, you being a dad, you'd know more about that than I would the boundaries. I'm putting this away, Molly, because I know you're going to start barking and doing it Oh.
1: No, go on, go wait. Could I roll rollie? No.
3: Of course, yeah. I no. didn't know you smoked. Yeah. Just the odd one. I know. I'm. I'm the odd one as well. Are you happy to roll? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What I did I do with now? the?
3: Is that them? No, it's empty. What did I do with them? Can you see them? They're in a spare.
1: Like. Um, I can't see them. I'm are in. No, they're not in there. Oh, it doesn't matter. No, no, that's okay. Okay, I have these crumpled up ones. Oops. So when you're uh, starting out with, say, a record company, do they pick your live band, or do you have any say over that?
3: Or? Oh, yeah, the record company stuff, yeah. Um, oh, we started talking about that. Yeah, you've no clue what you're doing. Yeah. You've no clue how much control you're supposed to take, because you're looking at maybe the, your favourite bands at the time. Mm. And you think they were signed to this company and they did really well and they trusted other people. And then inside you're going, this all feels wrong, I should probably fight this aspect or that aspect. And you're trying to balance up and pick your battles, I suppose. Mm. But at that age, I didn't have the experience of um, touring. What what age were you? Uh, 23, but I'd never never gigged with anyone. I'd Mm. never gigged when I signed. I said I had, but I hadn't. I'd done one singer-songwriter. Um, night in um, in the international in the international or somewhere like that. Yeah, and um, I'd done one. I shit myself the whole way through the song, finished and said, "Okay, that's done." <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I'd always just recorded on my own in mm-hmm. my bedroom. That was it. I never had to perform in front of anyone. So then I went into a, into Parlophone, who had like Radiohead and Coldplay on their books, and I thought I'd better relinquish some of my sense of control because they know more about it but then they're trying to guess what you're about mm. and they're going oh she needs an edgy stylist yeah <laughs> and they match up with someone who wants to put you in you know colorful wacky scarves and <laughs> and you're like i i don't want a stylist to be part of my life this isn't what yeah. it, it should be about so then you're wandering around london with someone you have nothing in common with and they're trying to make present you to the world. So there's all that stuff that you're trying to deal with it's not Jesus it's it's uh, first world problems obviously yeah. but,
1: um so Monday probably had that yeah well. I'd say he did yeah, yeah.
3: definitely definitely yeah. um but
1: uh, uh, and then when you go in the studio are you are you given a producer like Ben Ben hilly or is it produced? Ben
3: no I met a few different producers yeah. mm. and uh and Ben was cool and really yeah. nice and wanted me to because I had all these demos that I was signed on the back of um, and it was very easy for me to make them because every track that I'd lay on top of the next one made sense to me and that's what it was but then I was put into a studio with a band. Um, Looking back I probably should have done a Badly drawn, drawn boy and just done it the way that I do it, which mm. is just recording the stuff and it's raggle taggle and that's what it is. That's how I make records now, like mm. uh, silver sleeves and the nameless. But um, doesn't matter. It was all. It's that's all really do worth.
1: Do like that? I
3: like bits of it too. Yeah. yeah, I think it's grand. But I guess to come from doing everything yourself and then going in and having to um, interact and Play with other musicians who are really lovely and still friends with them, but you're making you're turning your songs into something else, mm. so uh, it was all fine, it was just loads and loads of money spent on an album that you didn't know how to make any other way because you're you're kind of being paid to do it that way. So, mm. I don't know, uh, um, I feel that this all sounds pretty petty. It was an experiment, you have yeah. to try everything.
1: And did you yes. learn to produce yourself? Yes, I mean, one. on Tales of Service League, did you produce?
3: Well, I worked with Liam Howe, so he'd come over to my house, I'd play him mm. what I had, and um, would say, all of these tracks on the song are really nice, we'll re-record the drums. So we did that with most of them. Um, others we started from scratch. And I guess um, production is an old term it's more of a phil spectre thing of him making the music and getting a singer in
2: Mm, mm, um mm, mm.
3: that was never what I was about it's a i guess it's a holistic a holistic approach to everything says the hippie again it's just like it grows from the ground up and and then um, Mm. and if someone's there with you sharing ideas and it and you relate to it then you make music. So that's if how Liam...
1: If you've got someone like a producer, will they arrange as well? Do you know what I mean? If you've written a song and you go, this is this is the way I've written the song, will a producer come in and go, well, what if we just move this bit here? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that
2: happen?
3: It can do, yeah. Mm. Um, a good producer will have great ideas. Mm, I think mm. that's, what I, uh, that's what I liked about Liam. And we'd experiment and have loads of fun doing things, but ultimately it was all... Um, my parts and playing and then Connor um, O'Brien came in at that stage my space had started and I put up a right. demo of Harmony um, which is the, the finished song on the album anyway and um, and he liked it and said if I ever wanted any help so he turned up, I hired a house in Donnybrook or somewhere, big house, because part of the phone are paying for it, we wanted to record in a nice old house, just mm. not a studio, I, I get the fear in studios, um, and he came over and we started um, playing music together, um, so he was, yeah, songs like Collector and stuff, um, he sped it up, I think, and mm. Yeah, it just works when it does. But ultimately, I think there's a problem in my technique because I record demos and I do every take exactly how I want it, but then it's all lo fi. So I think I should just be releasing lo fi records. Right, yeah. Instead of trying to shoehorn them into hi fi where I do another take under pressure, um, under pressure of the studio or it being. Changing from just a thing that I'm making for fun into something that I have to make sound commercial. Yeah, for. yeah. So that's, it's kind of a fatal flaw of my job, I suppose. Um, and I never have really resolved that. Um, mm. But I don't think music's meant to be easy. And I see the more, the older you get, the more people you meet who do the same thing as you. And everyone has issues with some part of recording or mm. making music. And if it was easy. What it is it? it would be boring
1: is it I don't know I mean I say if you've written a film screenplay and you give it to the director then your director takes over mm. it's not like that you don't want something like that to happen I suppose no there's no
3: fun in that because mm. the whole fun of music for me is um, is arranging because I I've never been comfortable sitting down and playing the guitar like we were talking about Burr and everyone gets the guitar and they play a tune and I don't think many of my songs are kind of, you can play them on guitar. Mm. They've always been uh, reliant on the whole arrangement to satisfy whatever I'm trying to get out. Mm. It kind of says the whole, the whole painting is in the arrangement, yeah, not just right. the melody. Mm. So, uh, so that's why, God, that's why touring was hard. I, that's why I couldn't tour without a band. Um, and I still struggle sort of playing gigs on my own. Yeah. And I will avoid them at all costs. Yeah? Yeah. So, uh. Right. You need the backup.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Because I, I was in a band uh, in my early 20s, and then I moved into comedy and was doing sketch comedy, which meant I wasn't me. Was wearing wigs and things, and then eventually moved into stand-up. And I found that the hardest thing to hear my own voice talking. Oh yeah. To people, and to be honest, doing comedy for me was—I'm just the fact that I am able to stand up and talk as me now is is a huge thing. I forget that sometimes. Forget about success or whatever, but just that I did that in the first place because I was quite shy, you know. Mm.
3: It's um, weird that um, you're drawn to things I, that you aren't...
1: I know, it's li- a really difficult thing to do, and yet I was drawn to do it.
3: Yeah, well, that's me. I, I used to get... Um, I, when I first signed and they realised that I'd would i been lying about kicking, <laughs> they sent me to a hypnotist to get over my fear of performing because I used mm. to just freeze. I'd get up on stage. I'd be vomiting before, and I'd have all this Jeez. adrenaline and not know how to direct it into the music.
2: Yeah.
3: Um. So you see performers and they use that adrenaline and it's dynamite to watch. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I just clam up and be like this. I'm fucking terrified. Sometimes I have those outer body experiences where you're, you're lost. You know, you don't know how to get back into, say, a moment and sing the song and enjoy it. Mm. And, then, and I went to a hypnotist and he couldn't hypnotise me. Which is kind of yeah. nice to know. <laughs> uh, but that in itself was, well, I'm going to have to just do loads of it and get through it like a normal so. person. And I'm always doing things to try and you know, get over my issues. Like, public speaking is terrifying. Talking in between songs is really hard. Um, and especially doing the My Lovely Horse stuff, I'm supposed to be uh, the spokesperson at times and that's very tough I just seem to just talk really fast and get things out of the way and say things and then I find myself saying loads of shit and fuck and talking about puking and then I'm gone (laughs) because my natural default is like say something really rude or dirty and get off (laughs) you're safe at least it wasn't boring (laughs) yeah not natural and then I remember I was asked to do um, I don't know it was probably good for me I don't think I was good at it, though. And I suspected I wouldn't be good at it. Um, The arts programme, the works, were looking for a new presenter. Yeah. And someone had mentioned it to my manager, and they said, Asher, just go in. If they want you to audition, go in for it. And I was like, I'm going to... I had read something by Dave Eggers Eggers saying, you know, say yes to everything. Right. You know, so you have experience, so Mm -hmm. you have educated, you know... um, educated uh, ideas about how life works <laughs> and you're not just sitting in your room or on your keyboard on the internet am I mm. <laughs> so i went for it and i got the job mm. as a as an interviewer for the music
2: yeah
3: and it was the most terrifying thing i've ever done oh my god um I interviewed different bands and I think I did about four of them or something and it never got easier <laughs> and then I wasn't asked back to do it <laughs> yeah. and, and they were really nice and I enjoyed I interviewed Bombay um, Bicycle Club and yeah. they were really interesting boys and their music was great so it was fun to talk to them but then I had to talk to the camera and I had to memorise what I'd say about them and you know when what you're saying or what you're supposed to learn and say makes no sense to you even though it's logical because you're so fixated on remembering to say it. Mm. So I couldn't connect that. So we'd have to do 50 takes in Temple Bar in front of people. Oh. And I was I found it mortifying, and the crew were bored and getting frustrated, and I felt so bad for them. So, yeah, I'm not a natural interviewer <laughs> at all. Car crash.
1: Oh, at least you did it. But I did it, yes. Yeah. I could say I did it. Mm. And I
3: wouldn't beat myself up over not doing it. Good to do. Good to be in the other shoes as well. Because you'd be interviewed so much as a musician and be annoyed with interviewers for being crap. But actually, it's fucking hard to Mm. have a natural conversation, isn't it? Do you find that with please?
1: I've done, uh, this has been my, you know, I'm on my 21st or 2nd now. And it's getting easier, yeah. Mm. Um, But I started off just interviewing people I knew really well. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just like having a chat with them.
3: That's the way to do it then, to yeah. ease into it naturally.
1: Yeah. yeah, and then uh gradually, I'm going out and asking people that I'd be uh, a bit nervous about.
3: <laughs> you wouldn't know. You don't want to do Nick Cave on your first one or anything, do you? No, I'm no. Going to chew you up and spit <laughs> I mean, you out for the fun of it.
1: Oh God! Uh, but I love it now. But see, podcasts are different because they're very uh, personal and they're very uh, much. Your own, there's no there's no one telling you what to do. Yeah. I'm coming out with my mm. recorder or a little studio, but it, there's no one else there. Just two people talking. Yeah. So, and there's no ad break. You're not going, I, mean, I have to wind this up now. And you can go as long as you like. Yeah. So.
3: God, that's another thing. Have you done radio?
1: I've done a few. Yeah, I used to do news talk a lot as guests, and, and, and yeah, that was difficult too sometimes. <laughs>
3: I was asked to do a guest to be a guest presenter, for for Tom Dunn when he was away.
1: Oh, yeah. I felt
3: bad for them, for the crew there as well, because I was so nervous. Mm. And the first night that I did, um, I got a call from one of the volunteers saying a horse had been... The dogs had gone mental. Just before I went on, I was trying to keep everything in my head and it's real scheduled isn't it yeah like, between the ad breaks and the interviews and what, what you say and when you say it and how you say it mm. and um just before I went on with the girls called saying a horse had been knocked up knocked down a stray horse had been knocked down emotionally yeah and looking for advice and I couldn't I couldn't leave to do it because I had this serious job to yeah. do yeah that was in my head and I was just fucked but um it's really nice to do because it's all-encompassing. Your f- your focus has to be so. It's like an escape from yourself, isn't it? I guess that's what entertainment is. Yeah, you're there to entertain, mm. and you're not allowed.
1: Yeah, but if you're on, uh, like, you know, I did a guest presenter on on Tom Dunn as well, and I was with Joe. There was two Joe, the producer, and uh, but at one point he said, oh, will you do? Will you link into the news now?" I was like, God, okay, and uh, and they're
3: doing five, yeah, I know, (laughs) three. I'm I'm going to say this word wrong,
1: and so I I was say something like, and now over to the whatever nine o'clock news with whoever it was, and I just blanked on the name, and I made up a name, (laughs) 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 Sheila Governor, oh no, and they're like,
3: thanks a million, (laughs) you prick. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not even important enough for you to remember my name <laughs> yeah, it's hard like full respect to the, the people who are able to do it naturally it,
1: Yeah, and then I didn't even have to do all the sliders and things some of them do all the talking and press all the buttons um, yeah. for the stings or whatever because it's
3: like a dream job isn't it something you imagine I'd love to do that I'd love to just be sitting cosy playing the music that I want to but there's yeah. so much more to it
2: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: I don't want to throw that disgusting ball on Molly. <laughs> the state of it. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. I'll, I'll get rid of it because she just. No. It's going up. It's going
2: here. It's Come on. Shawn. Rex. Rex.
3: Oh, demented dog.
1: So, how do you write now? Do you? Do you do you have a set time? Are you going, this is when I'm going to write? Or do you wait for an inspiration?
3: I, uh, I always go away. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I think the thing, uh, again, from teaching, you really kind of look at these things and try and figure out what's going on psychologically when someone's writing. Mm. The main thing is to always be writing. Because if yeah. you leave it and you say, I'm going to write on such and such a date, then the pressure from yourself to come up with the goods at yes. that specific time is too much just black so I think you always have to be working away but I'd always get things together on a little dictaphone or whatever mm-hmm. ideas and then um, ever since Silver Sleeves I'd always go away for uh, a month at a time so for this album I went to Connemara for a month and uh, a place not too far from Connemara for another month and mm. um, and I just bring the dogs and uh, a small studio and loads of instruments. Um, and I'm there with the phone off or somewhere where there's no internet, like we were talking about earlier on. Mm. No internet and no TV. Um, and just work away. And I always say the first song is just clearing the pipes so there's no pressure to come mm. up with the good straight away. Mm. And always that first song, because there's the least pressure on that, the first song is always one of the best ones. Uh. So like, the singles have always been, like Reuben and Little Red and um, we're clearing the pipe songs and they're in the clearing the pipe uh folder on my computer as yeah. well like those are the shit ones and they're just like for for myself but um yeah if there's no pressure then you're kind of free to you have to be like a kid just like playing in the dirt mm. and the good stuff comes out then i think because it's the most um natural
1: yeah more your what you want to do
3: yeah um mm. so messing about but um yeah so I'll always go away Um, and for the last album I went to uh, France um, to there was actually everywhere in France was really expensive but I found this cheap apartment that was part of the building that Toulouse-Lautrec lived in and it was a really historical little town tiny village and I went there and um, and that was mad because when I went there um, when I got there I was just exploring it was a, an apartment that the owner lived in, and she moved out when she'd have guests. And all around her place, there were photographs of what looked like a really weird looking man, but then it turned out that it was photos of him dead. So her husband had died, um, and after he died, she took lots of photos of him, I guess. last minute kind of trying to hang on to the memory of him Mm. and she'd left them in little photographs in little bowls around the house so from the first day it was just like full of his absence I suppose Mm. so that really coloured the the whole um, album the whole feel of the album because I was there and I had no TV I didn't have anyone to talk to I don't really speak French Mm. (laughs) so I was there for about five weeks on my own with just that Um, So that was very, well, it was very inspiring in a a strange way because Mm. it puts your head into a certain place.
1: Mm.
2: Um,
3: And, um, yeah, and so most of the places have been really um, generous (laughs) with their gifts of weirdness. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I I love going away. I think it's really important to do that because otherwise here you're just, life, life is too normal. You're kind of stuck in normal things. You're going to end up talking about shopping lists and yeah. trying to get the internet to work and, and mm. paying TV licences.
1: And you'll do... Well, I find I'll do anything to avoid writing. I'll uh, get the hoover out and I'll wash the dishes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like?
3: That's a big part of it, though, as well, isn't it? Yeah. Of writing.
1: Of avoid... What you mean? of The avoidance? That or? avoidance, yeah, yeah, that
3: procrastination. Because even if you're... Like, I don't want to sit down and write. I don't want to have that moment of sitting down and knuckling down. Mm. I'll go hoover. When you're hoovering, it's like one part of your brain is active mm. with something and the rest of it is free to kind of come up with... It's, it, I guess the um, side of your brain that's responsible for insight and things is free. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, so, so that's why lots of people have ideas in the shower.
2: Yeah. Because
3: there's lots of stuff going on. Um, that you're, you're, the rest of your brain is freed up. It's good. Ah. So I think I think that's all really good stuff to do. Tidying the house, going for a, oh, I should really just have a bath instead of sitting down to work, and then you'd come up with an idea in the bath. In the bath. <laughs>
1: you have to get out of the bath then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Realms a good bath. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: but whenever I'd get stuck, you know, you'd be in the middle of the song, and you'd be trying to figure out whatever phrase, and you'd be writing like this and start falling asleep because you're trying to get to that part of your brain that that tells you what the next bit is. And it's like, OK, I'm going to go have a bath, go have a bath, try and forget everything, and then something will come to you when you're not you're not trying to get it.
1: Yeah, right, yeah. Writing's fun. I'm going to feel
3: better about <laughs> hoovering now. <laughs> yeah,
1: I do. I <laughs> have a really clean house. Yeah. Um. So are you going to find a conflict now then? Is this going to be a big conflict going back to music?
3: At the moment, yeah, it, it's taken a lot longer to finish. The writing is okay, but then the the finishing and, you know, sparking up the whole actually producing and delivering an album, the donkey work, is hard to focus on. Um, but... Now I'm doing um, music for an animation, which is nice. So I do the horses from eight till ten Mm. and then have a day's work. And I can, when I'm doing the avoidance, I can come out and, you know, feed or whatever. Yeah. And then from half five to half seven is horses again. So I've got a nice little regime. It was hard starting up the charity because everyone, we were a small group and everyone was trying to multitask at things that we weren't all good at. Mm. I didn't know enough about you know sick animals and protocol and the logistics and the politics and the legalities and all Mm. of that stuff it's a steep learning curve um but now my job is i have the animals here on the farm and i look after them and it's kind of the others um are really aware of that and really good and they take on the other stuff which is the external and the phone calls and all so now I have the specific role it's a bit easier Um, and it's nice except you know we've lost um, three one two three four four horses haven't made it here and that sets me back a while because you spend a couple of weeks or a couple of months nursing them um, and then you realise they're not going to survive and then you're counting down to when you'll have to put them down and then you have to get over that so that, mm. that would set me back a while now, the new album was it, like it's inevitable it's whatever is going on in your life you, you write about most naturally so uh, since I'm not on the road having experiences about characters and everything I'm writing about what occupies my mind and it's really about what's uh I guess, um, what's your connection to the, the world and how we're all, um, how humans, I guess, have evolved with all the traits of other animals because we've all come from the same place
0: mm-hmm. and
3: um, branched off, obviously, a long time ago, but still elements of and um, characteristics of animals are still in us. So mm. the whole album is about um, characters and people who are part of a forest and uh, so it's called... Woodtown or New Forest—I'm not sure which one it's called—but uh, it's all like that. I mean, still in pop format and everything. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about um, welfare of animals <laughs> directly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it is about that connection um, and trying to figure out. Uh, I guess, I guess, just yeah. It's a strange thing when you start um, looking at what your connection to the to the universe and to animals is Mm. um, because we're so separated, we kind of concrete over everything Um, it's like we're trying to separate ourselves from the inevitable, from us being part of the dirt and the ground and then feeding the rest of the world Mm. and us ending, you know, so um, Mm. yeah, so that's it (laughs) in a nutshell Mm. but it's a yeah, it's good stuff (laughs) But it's still a pop album. It's not. It's. I guarantee it's not a, a nature album. <laughs> I promise.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not a concept album or something. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, it is yeah.
3: my concept, but, um, but it's grand. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. yeah. And it's unusual for two people to be together like you and Neil, who are both songwriters. I wonder. Is that um. Don't so know what's that. Is that good or bad? Is, Or is it difficult? It Not influence? anything. Yeah, no, it's just, just two making. people. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
3: like, luckily we both like um like making things, so we have mm. that in common, and um, we're both a little bit antisocial, so yeah. so that's grand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um um I mean, I don't know. I remember, I remember um, reading about. Uh, Damon Albarn and Justine Frishman remember yep. when they were going out and uh, reading an interview with her and I thought she was a bit delusional because she was like everyone's going on about the competition and everything but I know I'm just as good a songwriter as Damon and I was like no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bit like Neil is on a, a very different level he's a real classic songwriter who's he's always been obsessed with writing and poetry and arranging and he hasn't been uh his focus has never swayed like mine has and i've been i guess i would struggle now to finish this album and everything because i'm not as obsessed with music as he would be Mm. and it's seen and it becomes very apparent that that's his entire sort of being, is music. And that's why he's so good, you know. And that's why he can just roll out songs and he's very productive. Um, and that's why he's uh, very well known for that. And, um, and like, I don't mind that at all. Mm. I don't mind knowing that he's kind of a, a master, you know, at of that. Of the craft Yeah, of a master of like the, the craft, the yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, I guess I'm comfortable enough with my own ego, To be down with that—that's fine—and I would want his help. with I mean? It might make me a little lazy because I was doing a part of the animation and scoring something, and I've gotten a bit—I'm not completing things because I'm going. I may ask Neil just to fix that link, so it couldn't be arsed, and he'd be better at it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm leaving all these gaps, these tricky bits, because I'll be able to ask for his help. But um, I actually get a shock now if he doesn't, and I have to actually work really hard <laughs> to finish it. But um, that's yeah, that's the only thing that could be an unhealthy thing. But um, I don't think I think I'm managing it quite well, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, yeah. But we're very similar anyway. Mm. Similar backgrounds and stuff. Except I didn't have a a, a, a bishop for a father, but. <laughs>
1: Not very many people do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the chances? Yeah. Um. So, uh, well, thanks for talking to me. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going on then with the with the charity? We're going to. Uh, Neil has oh. <laughs> mentioned a uh, Father Ted quiz. Father Ted something.
3: quiz, yeah. <laughs> so we we the last couple of years we've always been doing pub quizzes for the mm. charity and um, different things. But we fancied this year is the, you know, the 20th year anniversary, I'm sure. Um,
1: Is this 23 years coming up?
3: Oh, is it 23? I've no, no, what did you
1: say? 20, sorry, you did say 20, yeah, no, I just... Yeah, um,
3: that was this year, so we were hoping to do a major Father Ted quiz in Vicker Street um, Mm -hmm. with as much of the cast as we could get, but... It just, um, it's too late in the day to do it. So we're thinking of doing it next year and mm-hmm. maybe doing a song for Europe thing where we got um, bands and musicians to write the worst songs they possibly could and make really horrible uh, car crash backing tracks to mime along to and just, you know, have a fun night. So ha-
1: almost like a Eurovision
3: yeah, night. Just, it's... Yeah, like it was in Father Ted, just mm. really cheesy Um and um, awful music and have a competition and maybe have the pub quiz or the, the TED quiz rolled mm. in with it. Um, so that's on the books for next year. Um, and mm. hopefully you'd be involved. I'd love to be. Yeah, that would be great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like just fun things because especially just with charity, I'm so conscious of it, especially, Like especially things like this podcast. Like when I go into talking about that mode, my voice goes monotone and it's talking about the welfare and everything. But really it should be loads of people enjoying being part of it because Mm -hmm. otherwise you find people say, how do you do that? It's so hard. I wouldn't be able to deal with the the upset of it. But if you have enough joy involved
0: Mm. and
3: you have enough nice um, events and a community feel and people getting something joyful from it, then then the job is easier and more people are involved and everyone wins so that's what we want to do and that's why we named it my lovely horse and that's why we want fun kind of events not where not with boring speeches just like loads of fun and it's all going for a good cause
1: well the event i met you at the my lovely ranch in the electric picnic was really good fun yeah, and it, was, and it, it looked great with all the bales of hay and stuff. Yeah, oh, that's mm. brilliant.
3: We've gotten such support from the Electric Picnic guys mm. um, and bigger and better next year.
1: The donkeys have started. Amazing.
3: You're the last one. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Some
3: oh! Of my really God. <laughs> Some of them are like, oh, it yes. i
1: had enough. <laughs>
3: But, um, yeah, the the ranch was brilliant. It's just such a feel-good thing. I've always hated festivals. I've hated playing at them and going to them. And I find them menacing. The undercurrent is, like, threatening when there used to be oxygen. And, you know, they were big and dark and people Uh, would get wasted and dangerous. mm. But, you know, quaint festivals, boutique-y things where... Everyone wants to be nice to each other. That's fine. Mm. Down with that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, them forever. I, I love the electro picnic. And uh, I did one called Bear in the Woods in Port Arlington earlier in the year. And I put on, on the comedy tent and that was amazing. It, I'd say there was maybe only, I don't know, a couple of thousand people had it or something. But yeah. it's a really good one. And you,
3: you curated I curated that. the
1: comedy tent. Oh, nice. It's the first time they've had a comedy tent. But
3: How did you find that yourself doing that organising
1: I don't particularly like the (laughs) (laughs) organising part. But uh, it it went off well in the end. Mm. And um, so I brought both my kids to it. And we saw, like, some great Irish bands who were playing a tiny little stage. And there were only, like, 20 or 30 people watching. I saw a rap, hip-hop band called Dajé Vu. And they're just incredible.
3: So you saw some stuff that
1: you... Really good
3: The bigger ones. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they're amazing. So... And then you can just chat to the band afterwards. I know, yeah. <laughs> it's not like they're off in They'll some pass. caravan somewhere. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I like them being close. I mean, everyone loves the small gigs as well. That's it, you don't want it too big so you, f- you don't feel part of the experience. Although I went to see Blur at Electric Picnic yeah. and they were very far away and I was watching the whole thing on screen but there was still a great feeling. I love that kind of general energy of everyone being happy and the band being happy. Uh, yeah, kind of all in it together, but it's mm. great when it's small venues. I loved, the, I loved doing. Um, I used to do a bare bones tour, which just be me and two other musicians, um, and we would drive around in our car around, say, the Ring of Kerry or somewhere, mm. and just do tiny venues that you'd never see, and it would hold like thirty people,
2: mm.
3: and um, and they were just completely different experiences. Especially when I started doing music as playing, um, sort of established. Big venues playing support to other bands, and everything was far away, and you're on a stage far away from the crowd, and mm. you couldn't look at anyone's face and say something to them. Um, but it makes more sense as a performer, I think, to be able to um, just be in a room, and I guess it makes makes more sense like you're you're all in it together.
1: Yeah. I find that? Oh yeah, yeah. I find uh, uh, sometimes doing a bigger uh, the biggest venue I've done would have been. The uh, Vicar, would have been Vicar Street, but uh, yeah, you, there's also a light shining in your face, so you can't really see an audience. You might see the first row, yeah. so it's very strange talking to nothing really, yeah. and just hearing the reaction coming back, but not seeing people's faces. Oh, yeah. And especially so. if they
3: do the quiet chuckles, then you're really on your own. "Mm, I'm appreciating that joke instead of the (laughs) falling around
1: yeah and also you can hear your voice sometimes coming back off the end wall and it's very disorienting.
3: yeah hard to keep your train of thought Mm. yeah small venues are where it's at really I've mm. never gone to the O2 for... Or is it still called the O2 o- or one of those?
1: Uh, three now, I think. <laughs> it's called the Three something. Anyway.
3: Yeah, I've never gone to those <laughs> to see anything. I maybe I'd love it, but I just can't imagine how we would be be so far away, pay loads for a ticket, be really far away from the act. You can't see their, their face um, and just everything is secondary sound as well so it's not even the noise they're making it's a representation of the noise they're making. Yeah. So yeah it doesn't seem real enough.
1: And you're looking at a screen a lot of the time. Comedy like in a big venue like that to me doesn't make any sense. It's one person on a stage. Yeah. And basically you're looking at a screen so you might as well uh, get the DVD. Yeah.
3: Yeah exactly. (laughs) I'd love to go to more comedy though. I miss that by living in Dublin.
1: She's coming down to the Monday Night's Improv. I'd say you'd enjoy the oh, improv. Oh, yeah, where's that? Uh, the International Bar on a Monday night. Okay. It's been going for years now. And uh, get a lot of tourists in, actually. Yeah. It's half the audience aren't I Irish. Used to, so.
3: I used to go to that a lot in the Heapening mm. Inn. Did you used to do the, the Who's Line?
1: Yeah, I've done a few of them with uh, um, the Who's Line and Phil Jupiter's a couple of times. Uh, at the picnic and in the... Ro- I'm doing one in the Roisin Dove coming up in uh, the Galway festival, I think it's the second last weekend of October That'd be going to and, be uh, dove. yeah it's nice yeah. yeah and I've toured with them over in the Middle East earlier on in the year in um, Oman and Qatar and places like that yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> they're good so fun it there. because it's uh, five of us go on stage and there's no lines prepared so Camaraderie is great, you know. You've got and you have fun on stage because yeah, yeah. you're laughing at whatever. I'd imagine that's said.
3: more more enjoyable as well because you have to be thinking on your feet and
1: yeah, and it's just enjoyable because you end up doing stuff that makes you laugh because you think yeah. you're so funny.
3: Yeah, <laughs> oh, I love it because I grew up on on the Whose Line Is It Anyway? Was it Tony Curtis and um, those guys who were doing it?
1: Tony originally. Curtis. Uh, uh, yeah, so there was a guy called Slattery what was his name Tony Slattery Is that Tony Slattery
3: yeah Tony Curtis the actor uh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony he, Slattery yeah I loved him yeah yeah they are brilliant oh I I think because we're on the Galway Road so I might go down to that oh yeah I do yeah um, sometimes we'll take a weird trip down to the Roisin Dove to see to, to see someone Googie always looks after you doesn't he
1: <laughs> oh yeah 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 he's a nice guy <laughs> yeah. so ah yeah it's a brilliant venue so Yeah, it should be a good crack. Well, that was brilliant, that Cathy Davy interview. I loved it. I loved going out to her house. She was very hospitable and we had a lovely day and she's just a really nice person and I was heading off to Wexford straight after that and she made me a nice avocado on toast type sandwiches and uh, just that's so nice she's so nice so thanks Cathy thanks for that Um, well yesterday was my birthday and uh, I had no cake no uh, nothing really no fuss just an ordinary day but I'd like to thank all the um, people who wished me happy birthday on Facebook that was so nice of every single one of you I'd like to flag a gig that I'm doing on the 16th of October I'm doing an unusual gig on the Lake Isle of Inish Free over in Sligo and it's on a raft type thing. There's a thing called stand-up paddling where you stand on a little kind of a raft and you use a big, long paddle to propel yourself down across the lake or down a river. Uh And I'm going to do stand-up on one of those rafts and the audience will also be on them. And we're going to paddle over to the Lake Isle of Vintage Free. There's going to be a barbecue. You can bring your own bottle. It's on the 16th of October. If you want to find out more about it and come along to it, because it'll be just brilliant crack. I know it will be. It will be uh, You can find out about it on SUP for All on Facebook or look it up on... Uh, Google it. Google it. Uh, and it's, we're going to film it and uh, I think it'll be a special event. Mm. Well, listen, I better check, uh, check my bump. Find out if I'm dying. I'm going to the doctor in about an hour, an hour and a half. And, uh, oh God, I just hope it's okay. Next week we have Dermot Whelan. Uh, so, I'll talk to you next week. Okay, see ya. Bye.